We are in the last part of this Stronger series, which um, I've been loving across uh, the last five weeks. And, you know, the purpose of this series really is to talk about having a bold faith in a noisy world. I think whatever our world is doing, we need a bold faith, don't we? We need a confident faith. And this morning, I want to talk about the power of proximity. The idea that one is too small a number for God. And therefore, we're talking about relationships and what the Bible says about relationships and what the Bible says really about true friendships. We're going to ask the question, is it necessary? Are relationships necessary? Do we need them? Can't I just do life on my own? Can't I just do life my way? And then what are the ingredients to great relationships? What are they made of? And then how do we get the power to be a friend and to have relationships in our lives? And I want to drop into a story that's... um, it's a long story in the Old Testament. We were, I haven't got time to read it all. It covers five chapters. It's the story of David and Jonathan. Jonathan is the king's son, Saul's son, and David and Jonathan. So I'm going to read some small passages from four chapters just to get us going this morning. Here's the first, 1 Samuel 18. It said, when David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was bound to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took David that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David and his his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And then in chapter 19, Jonathan spoke well of David to his father Saul. You want some friends who speak well of you, don't you, when you're not around. The king should not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said, because he's not sinned against you and because his deeds have been good for you. For he took his life in his hand when he attacked the Philistine, Goliath, and the Lord brought a great victory for Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against an innocent person by killing David without cause? Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and related all these things to him. Then Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence, as before. Chapter 20. Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy, his servant, and he said to him, go and carry them to the city. As soon as the boy had gone... David rose from beside the stone heap and he prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He bowed three times and then they kissed each other and they wept with each other. David wept more. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace since both of us have sworn in the name of the Lord saying, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. He got up and left and Jonathan went to the city. And then finally, chapter 23. David was in the wilderness at Ziph at Horish when he learned that Saul had come out to seek his life. Saul's son Jonathan set out and came to David at Horish, and there he strengthened his hand through the Lord. He said to him, Do not be afraid, for the hand of my father Saul shall not find you, and you shall be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. My father Saul also knows this is true. Then the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. 
Commentators tell us that this period of David's life, which as I said, covers about five chapters in the book of Samuel, they tell us that David would not have survived without his friendship with Saul. That this was the most dangerous period of his life. Despite the fact that he had killed Goliath and brought about a great victory for Israel, Saul became envious. He took him into his home and he welcomed him after that victory, but then he becomes jealous and he becomes envious. Part of that was because the women were started writing songs, like icon music. They started writing songs about David and Saul, and they, one of their songs went like this. I don't know the music, so I won't sing it. I don't want to amaze you up there in Sheffield in my voice. But it says, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands, and Saul became envious. Envy can attack us, can't it? I was in a meeting recently where someone else got praised for my work. You know, when that happens, you sat there thinking, surely they're going to mention me, they're going to notice me, they're going to... and it never, never happened. And I, rem- I know I felt a little envy, just a smidge, just a little envy. Saul, however became so envious of David that he wanted to kill him. And it was only David's friendship with Jonathan that meant he would survive. They actually, as we read in these verses, made a covenant together. They made a covenant to be BFFs, best friends forever. In fact, they make the covenant in chapter 18. They renew it again in chapter 20, and they renew it a third time, a second time of renewal in chapter 23. And the commentators, as I've said, tell us that David would not have survived without Jonathan. What an incredible friendship. Proverbs 17 and verse 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. I want you to remember that phrase this morning. A friend loves at all times. And you and I, just like David, may not survive certain things in life. We may not come through them as God wants us to come through them without a God-given friendship, without God-given relationships. Friendship, relationship is necessary. Someone wrote this. They said, if you can't bear adversity without friends and you can't experience life without adversity, then it follows that friends are one of life's necessities. You know, the truth in life is we're going to face adversity, aren't we? And if we can't bear it well without great friends and good relationships, then friends are necessary, relationships are necessary. What about siblings, you might say? What about spouses, you might say? And that's a great question, but we all know that siblings can be friends or not, can't they? Siblings can just be siblings, Spouses can be friends or not. Don't nudge the person next to you. But the only thing that really can get us through adversity is friendship. And that's great when siblings and spouses are friends too. You see, it's not sexual chemistry that gets you through adversity. It's not thinking, he's so hot. It's not, it's not thinking, oh boy, she's an angel. You know, it's actually friendship that gets you through adversity, and only friends. And you know why that is? Because we are wired 
for relationship. We're wired for friendship. You know, the book of Genesis, the first few chapters have so many answers to so many questions in life. In the first few chapters of the book of Genesis, we find a scene where Adam is created, but he's in the garden alone. And in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, God says, these are the words that come from God's mouth, not Adam's. It's not good for man to be alone. In that moment, the garden is not enough. The universe is not enough. Perfection is not enough. The environment is not enough. And the reason for that is we are made in the image of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's relationship himself. And I know that can be difficult to understand, but we are made in his image. We are wired to be like him. And one is always too small a number for God. So everything in the garden is good. God keeps saying, it's good. You know, and God saw all that he had made and it was good. Except one thing, Adam alone. No friends, no companionship. The Bible speaks to this in so many places. Here's a few, Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9, two are better than one. Proverbs 13 and verse 20, he who walks with the wise grows wise. It goes on to say, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I want to say to us, I believe God wants to say to us today that God has the right people for you right now. God has the right people. This is so important for you and for me that God has the right people for us. God's not left us just to meander and struggle, but God has the right people for us. I believe God has people that he's planned for us to find relationship with, people that will strengthen us, people that will strengthen our faith, and people that will help us to flourish. David, as we've learned in these verses, had a God-planned relationship with Jonathan, and that enabled him to become the king. Joseph, in the Old Testament, had a God-planned relationship with the butler, and that helped him to become the prime minister of Egypt. Esther had a God-planned relationship with a king, and that helped the Israelites to be saved from extinction. An Ethiopian in the book of Acts on a trip across the desert had a God-planned relationship with an evangelist called Philip, and that enabled the gospel to begin to start to go to the ends of the earth. Elijah had a God-planned relationship with a young man called Elisha, and that allowed for succession and prophetic ministry to carry on in Israel. And Ruth had a God-planned relationship with Naomi. And even when Naomi, and everything's gone wrong for them, even when Naomi says to Ruth, just go back, go back to your people, Ruth says to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. And that resulted ultimately in the Messiah, Jesus, coming to us. And those women, their futures being lifted from poverty. God has a plan for relationship for you and for me right now. And I want to encourage us to build our inner circle with God-given friends. We can have a big circle. We can have a wide circle of friends. I hope we do. But build our inner circle with God-given friends. Friendship, relationship 
is necessary for life. I want to share three ingredients this morning, three ingredients for this kind of relationship, this kind of friendship, three ingredients that we see in these verses and also throughout scripture. And remember this, a friend loves at all times. Have you got that in Sheffield? A friend loves at all times. Here's the first thing, consistency. Consistency. Proverbs 18 and verse 24 New Revised Standard Version I'm reading from. Some friends play at friendship. Isn't that the truth? But a true friend sticks closer than one's nearest kin. In the NIV version it says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We've said already that David and Jonathan made a covenant. In fact, they renewed it after several years, as I can see, twice. But Jonathan somehow found a way to be loyal to his father, the king, but also the friend of David. Somehow he found a way not to conflict, to protect David, to speak well of David, to speak up for David even, to his father. And the reason he found a way is he was consistent. And he was constant. Jeannie and I have said over many years, you've probably heard us saying, we're not going anywhere. Whatever opportunities come our way, whatever, whatever doors might open, we're not going anywhere. You see, we're not perfect. I know you struggle to believe that. And I know because you don't see us in the flesh too much in Stocksbridge, you know, it's hard to believe that. But we are not perfect. The, the room, I can sense the shock. <laughs> we're not perfect. We have weaknesses like you, but we're here. We're here. And we're here to stay. I think we get loyalty. I think we get loyalty. I think we get consistency and constancy. Now, I, I want you to tell you this, that Jeannie has loyalty to other things too. Not just the Icon Church. She's loyal. I'm going to name one this morning. Sainsbury's. <laughs> now, there are other great shops available, but Jeannie has loyalty to Sainsbury's. I wonder, do you have a loyalty to a supermarket? You know, just tell the person. If in your connects, just tell them, this is my supermarket. You know? And uh, I'm, I'm loyal. You know, she, she'll shop elsewhere, but I would tell you nine times out of ten... Jean is going to Sainsbury's. And I used to understand that because she used to work there. She used to work for Sainsbury's and obviously they paid her. But also every year as a bonus, she used to get given shares. A few shares in the company. And I could see that that loyalty, our loyalty to that supermarket was helping in a very tiny way um, those, those shares. And as an employee, she would uh, d do that. But of course, when she left as an employee, we cashed in those shares and we transferred them into a pension somewhere. But Jean is still loyal to Sainsbury's, nine times out of ten. She's built that way. And when she goes to Sainsbury's, everyone is friendly. I don't know anybody, but everyone is friendly with Jeannie. There are still people there who know her, and they're friendly, but they're not friends. They're friendly, but they're not friends. You see, because their friendship, that loyalty, doesn't have to stick. 
the only reason that loyalty sticks is a cost-benefit calculation. Jeannie loves Sainsbury's because she knows where everything is. She knows the layout of the store. She likes the layout of the store just because it's familiar. She knows she can go in and she can go out. She knows she can use the gun. I love that. Does anybody else love that? I just love those things. Like, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we went shopping the other day and we were, we were using the gun, but then we got checked. And then you think, did I, did I zap everything? You're like, panic. You get panic. And anyway, we had. We zapped everything. That was fantastic. But if suddenly that supermarket became super expensive or the quality of food became terrible, that loyalty would go. She'd shop elsewhere. She'd ask you, where do you shop? And we'd shop somewhere else. You see, she does a cost-benefit analysis. But in true friendship, there's no cost-benefit analysis. No cost-benefit calculation. A friend loves at all times. A couple of weeks ago, we, uh, we, we talked about the, the song in Friends, didn't we? The theme song of Friends. And, and, I, and I said how Amy Hall said it right up there in Stocksbridge. And Vic Bray said it right, got them both wrong two weeks ago, however long. You know, how they love Friends. They knew all the words to this song. But I thought that we'd recite this song across all our campuses, even in our Derby Connects today. And I'm going to take the role of a canter. We're going to pretend for a moment we're Anglicans or Roman Catholics or Jews or Orthodox. And I'm going to be the canter, cantor. And I will say the first line and you will say the second line. Your lines are in brackets. Okay? So we're going to try it. I'd like you to be as loud as possible because there's people online. Even if you're watching in your own home, why don't you join in? So are you ready? I'm the cantor. I'll be there for you. I'll be there for you. I'll be there for you. I'll May the Lord bless you. <laughs> you see, even when a friendship is mostly or all one way, anybody got any of those? You stay friends because a friend loves at all times. They're constant. They're consistent. And it's this kind of relationship, this kind of friendship that is life's necessities. Consistency is the first thing to build relationships. You don't have to agree on everything. You don't have to like everything, but consistency. The second thing is openness. We see a lot of openness in this relationship between these two, two friends, and it's kind of characterized by this opening verse in chapter 18, 1 Samuel 18, 1. It says, when David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was bound to David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Loved him as his own soul. As we read this story over the five chapters, they're open with each other. They're open about their emotions. They're open about their fears. They're open about what situation they're in, their thoughts. It's so important to have friends you can be open with. When it comes to a world, a society, a moment, 
moments in life where we struggle as well with our mental health and we feel the shame sometimes of our struggling. I want to invite you. I want to encourage you. Find a friend you can be open with. Just find somebody you can talk to. Just guys, particularly, let me just encourage you. Just find somebody and you can say, let's have a a beer, a coffee or whatever. And can I just tell you, I just need to tell somebody how I'm feeling. I want to tell you with 100% certainty, it will help you. It will help you. I can't promise it will solve all your problems. I can't promise it will deliver you. But I can promise you it will help you. Be open. Just tell people, I'm feeling this. Uh, you know, and they could do it. They shared feelings, emotions, thoughts. They wept together. Uh, they, they were able to do that. They were able to hug each other, to cry on each other's shoulders. And I know you might not be you know, touchy-feely. I know in Sheffield you've got a pastor who's beginning to open up to hugs. In fact, he told me, he told me every, he'd like everybody to hug him after the service today. People are laughing because they know who he is. But anyway, if you could do that, that'd be a great blessing. <laughs> and it would really help him. Jonathan, the king's son, could hear his father's threats. And he could still protect David. But he also heard David's fears. And he could advise him. He could direct him. He could plan with him how he could be rescued. You know, many of us just want friends who tell us what we want to hear. We just want friends who kind of justify everything we're thinking, everything we're feeling, everything we're saying. You know, we want friends who say, oh, you're right to stay mad. You should be mad. You know, you're right not to forgive. You're right. You're justified to do whatever it is. But I want to tell you, a good friend will give us good advice. They'll give us good advice. Proverbs 27 and verse 6 says this, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You see, a true friend doesn't just encourage us encouragers they will do that of course they will that and they'll do it in like they'll do it loads they'll encourage us they'll speak well of us even when we're not in the room a true friend their words about us will be seasoned with salt you remember that (laughs) but also a true friend will give perspective and bring correction to us and I think if someone's got to bring me bad news I want it to be a friend I want it to be a friend who I know loves me and is for me. There have been times in the life of our church, people have had to bring us bad news. And, uh, you know, some of our greatest friends are Gavin and Jane. And often they've taken that position of bringing us bad news, the rotters. (laughs) If anybody's going to bring you bad news, you want it to be a friend. You don't want to be the person that's texting 10 other people. Oh... I feel, I feel the anger in me about that. You don't want, no, that's not the person you want to be the bad news. You don't want the, the person who's talking about it in connect group. That's not the person you want, you want the friend. If somebody's got to bring criticism, and we all need a bit of criticism from time to time. We don't need condemnation, but we could do with a bit of criticism from time to time. 
because it makes us a bit resilient and it, and it pulls us back from pride and arrogance. If somebody's got to bring criticism, you want it to be a friend. You know what I mean? Openness in friendship humanizes us. Now, I want to take you back to 1935. I don't know how many of you were alive in all our campuses. 1935, I wasn't. I was minus 19 in, in 1935, but I've actually seen what I'm going to share with you. And the Bride of Frankenstein. Remember Frankenstein? Remember the Bride of Frankenstein? There's a scene in 1935 in the Bride uh, of Frankenstein, which is about humanity and friendship, and it's genius. It's absolute genius. Because the monster meets a blind man. The monster meets a blind man, and of course the blind man doesn't know he's meeting a monster. The blind man doesn't know he should be afraid or scared or terrified in this moment because he's blind. And of course Frankenstein is struggles to speak, and so the blind man prays, and he prays something like this. I've not got the words exact, but he prays something like this. Thank you, Lord, that you have brought me, a man who cannot see, together with this man, who man who cannot speak, and you have created us for this friendship. And so the blind man begins to treat the monster like a friend. And you know what happens? It humanizes Frankenstein, the monster. He becomes more human. He laughs. He eats bread. He smokes cigars. Not that I'm encouraging. <laughs> he, he becomes more human. But the point, the genius of that part of the story is that friendship humanizes us. It makes us human. What did we say? A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. The band are going to come back. And my final point is this. So this kind of friendship is consistent. It's open. And then the final trait, ingredient, is a common passion, sympathy. When we think of the word sympathy, we think of like concern, don't we? Or, or, or some, somebody showing concern for us. But the word sympathy comes from two words, and it means common passion, a common passion. Jesus in John 15 and verse 15 says this to his disciples. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his father's or master's business, sorry. Instead, I have called you friends. Like, just take that in for a second. Jesus isn't here this morning saying, I want to just be your master and you be my servant. I don't just want me to be your Lord and you to be my servants. I want to be your friend. I want you to know my father's business. I want you to know what I'm doing. I want you to be involved in everything that I am doing. He finishes that verse by saying, for everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. I've not kept anything from you, he says in another place. Jesus says this to us. I want you to be my friends. And we become his friends when we have a common passion 
when we're about the same things that he's about. You know, the commentators, the theologians tell us as they read the Gospels that Jesus was passionate about two things. In fact, they use the word some obsessed. He was obsessed with two things. Firstly, his father. It's always talking about his father. He's done it in these verses. And secondly, his kingdom, the kingdom of God. And I believe that the common passion Jesus invites us into is to be passionate about knowing God as our father. Not just knowing God as like a deity or a, you know, a spirit in the sky or an energy, but actually knowing that God is our Father. He says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father. He doesn't say, pray, great God, creator of the universe, almighty, omnipotent. No, he just says, Father, our Father. And I wonder whether in Icon Church, across all of our campuses, every person connected with our church, whether we couldn't stir up some passion to know God and understand that God is our Father. He loves us. He's for us. Jesus was passionate about us discovering God, our Father. And then secondly, he's passionate about us living in his kingdom living in this realm, in this place where his ways, his thoughts, his ideas matter to us more than anyone and anything. That we take on a different mentality, a different spirit. We take on a different attitude about certain things. We even take on different beliefs around certain things. Why? Because they're kingdom beliefs and kingdom attitudes and kingdom passions. They might not be the beliefs, the attitude, and the spirit of our world, but we take them on. And when we do that, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. You're friends. You're friends. I want to be a friend of God. I don't know about you. Because he truly is a friend that loves at all times. He truly is the brother that is born for adversity. You know, in this Stronger series, we began by thinking about prayer. We pray. We began by thinking about reading the Scriptures, reading the Bible. We read the Bible, about gathering as the church in week three. Last week, about us all playing our part. And today, about building relationships. And my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that we will have those kind of relationships. Constant relationships in our lives open relationships in our lives and we would have relationships in our lives where we have that common passion because those are the foundations of a bold faith in a noisy world and I'm believing we'll discover those relationships God's got them for us and a friend What does a friend do? Loves at all times. What is a brother born for? A brother is born for adversity. You've got brothers and sisters that aren't kin. You've got brothers and sisters that aren't kin. And they're some of the strongest, best God-given relationships that you will have in your life. But you know, to be a friend, we need to know a friend. And Jesus is called the friend of sinners. 
And the good news is he calls us friend, but he's our friend of sinners. He's the ultimate friend. And we need this friend to help us be a friend to each other, don't we? I need it today because we know that Jesus is constant. He's on the cross and he's going to the cross and it's all happening. There's betrayal, there's lies being told about about him. Even before he gets to the cross, he's in the garden and he's praying and the disciples are falling asleep. And he says to them, like I'm in agony, my soul is in anguish. I'm in agony and, and you're dropping off. But in spite of all that, he still dies for them. Despite that they let him down, that they deny him, he still dies for them and he still died for you and me knowing that we wouldn't be constant always. He's constant and he's open. He's vulnerable. He becomes human. He takes on the form of a baby and there's nothing more vulnerable than a, a savior, a master, a God with his arms open on a cross naked everything we naturally cover up don't we we naturally hold things things why we why we find it difficult sometimes to talk but Jesus showed us he's our friend by that ultimate act of openness naked vulnerable and he's passionate he's passionate that we would know God and that we would know God's purpose in our lives you know, a God, God has got a purpose for you. We were singing a new song today. I think it's written by Icon Music about discovering the passion we might never fully understand. But God has a purpose for our lives. He's got a purpose for your life. And Jesus is passionate that we would know God as Father, but we would also know that purpose He's created us for. It's what drives Him. And His passion for humanity is ultimately what took him to the cross. We're going to pray and then we're going to worship. Would you stand to your feet? Would you stand to your feet in all our campuses today? And before, before I pray, I want to, first of all, give anyone an opportunity today. And you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've never invited him to come and be Lord of your life. You... He's not looking for you to join a religion today. He wants a relationship with you. And if you're in Stocksbridge today or you're in Sheffield today, even you might be new in any of our connects in Derby or here in Chesterfield, and you say, I want to know God. I want to know this God who wants to be my friend. If that's you today, I want to pray for you. I want to give you an opportunity right now. So let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes for a moment. I just want you to consider it. God loves you. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. He's got a passion. He was so passionate about you that even knowing that you would let him down, he still went to the cross. Even knowing that you and I would fail him, he still went to the cross. Even knowing that we would turn from him, he still was vulnerable because he loves us and he's passionate for us. So in Stocksbridge, in Sheffield, here in Chesterfield, if you're saying, Paul, please pray for me. I want to know this God. I want a relationship with this God. Would you just raise your hand right now? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than that. Just lift your hand. Lift it high. 
people will see it. We'd love to give you a Bible at the end of the service. Just going to wait 30 seconds if there's anyone in any of our campuses today and you're saying, that's me. I want to know this God as my friend. I want to receive Jesus as my friend. Just raise your hand. Just leave it there for a second. Come on, church, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for every person today. Over this weekend, every person who will make a decision to follow you, we pray for them. We pray, come close to them. Come near to them in the name of Jesus. And I pray for any person today that's struggling in any areas that have been mentioned, Lord, in this service. Father God, that you will draw near to them as a friend. They will know your closeness. But not only that, I'm praying they won't just know your closeness, but that you will put them in those relationships with God-given friends who they can walk together, passionate about the things of God, passionate about growing in their faith. That you will give them that space, Lord God, where they can be open, where they can be constant, where they can be great friends. Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And we rejoice today that you do not call us servants, but you call us friends. That we are not just servants of God, but you have drawn us into something far greater, far more wonderful, far more special. Friendship. Friendship with the living God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Come on, in all our campuses. Let's praise our God. Let's lift his name.